Welcome to this episode of the Barrels and Business Podcast. I am your host, Jay Green, and our aim is to deliver you an entertaining hour or so, depending on the surf. <laughs> and lucky for you guys, it's a pancake out there right now. So we will be going through for about an hour, sharing inspiration and insights on the best surf spots in the world, quintessential quivers, best product recommendations, our worst wipeouts, total coop chaos as well as discussing the trials and tribulations of starting and scaling businesses. Scotty's actually going to tell us the tribulations of selling businesses as well. And we're going to talk about not only the wins, but the massive wipeout failures in business, share with you some technology and life hacks, and help you to make an amazing business, and not only that, an epic life. So today I have with me Scotty Schindler. Now, Scotty is not only a business and sports leader, proudly from Sawtell, New South Wales. He is the startup founder and retired CEO of Renet. And he's also a multiple surfing title champion. So Scotty, welcome to the show. Tell me, I asked you to, uh, if I really knew you, I would know on the uh, application form and you wrote back, I would know, I would swear. Why? Tell me, tell me something that I'd know about you if I really knew you. Say that again. <laughs> oh, I would swear. Yeah. What was, what, oh, is that just the, if I really knew you, I would know that you swear. Correct. Uh-huh. Well, that's pretty much what everyone knows about me too. <laughs> if I can know me. <laughs> so if you see if you see me online, I'm all all proper and business like, and just like like two hats, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. There's the surfy Scott, and there's the business Scott. <laughs> well, if you see me online, you'd realise that there yep. isn't uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde because I say fuck on LinkedIn. I know and, I've seen it. Yeah, that's why I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> and I often get comments saying you can't do that. I'm like, guess what? It's my LinkedIn. So if you don't like it, don't fucking follow me. Simple. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get stuck in. Let's start with where is your favorite surf spot in the world? Oh, if for and you don't have to give us the like the coordinates, just give us the general location if it's secret. Well, you know, there's nothing nothing better than when at home is good. So when mm -hmm. at home is good and it's good for months, you go, why bother traveling anywhere? Yes. But as we know, we get seen, wind, if it all lines up, it's <laughs> Not lined up, well, you can't beat Indonesia, can you? Yeah. You know, um, and in saying that, you know, the best wave I've ever had in my life was uh, out the front of Lennox Head, not at Lennox, oh. right around the corner. Um, yeah. With the, when the uh, Pasha Bolka ran aground, that big swell we had. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was pumping up there, it was all time. And there's only about six of us that went right out of the back. You go about another 500 metres further around the point. Yeah. Uh, it only breaks once every blue moon, and I just happened to be there on that blue moon, and it was pumping. So I can't really give them a favourite spot other than like every other surfer in the world, mate. When their home breaks on, that's the yeah, best spot. That's the spot. You know it so well. You, you, that's where you're most comfortable. It's just like second nature. You know, the pecking order. Yep. Everything. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I definitely know the area in Lennox because I grew up at Evans. So that's, that whole area is my original stomping ground as well. Sweet. So let's move to business. Give us a give us the real top level bio on your business background. Yeah, sure. Look, I wanted to 
I wanted to create a business that was around lifestyle, but I still wanted to be the entrepreneur. You know, it's not just a business owner. I really wanted to have something that I, I grew and scaled, but also had the lifestyle. So for me, I had to move home to Coffs Harbour or Sawtell for everyone that knows Sawtell. Um, but the surf's much better in Coffs, so don't ever stop at Sawtell. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I really wanted to make sure when I moved home to, to, to Sawtell that I could, you know, have surf and have all those things. So in my 20s, I missed out on all that. I almost didn't mm. surf for 10 years. And I just wasn't the person that I wanted to be. So it was really important to me to be able to go surfing in the morning and then go to work and then come home to the family five minutes later and not have all this. You know, even though I wasn't in Sydney, I was in Newcastle. I still did a lot of commuting and a lot of travel. Um, mm. I did 80,000 kilometres a year driving and I just didn't want to do that anymore. Wow. So the, the elevated pitch of business for me was all about balance and lifestyle and still being able to achieve all the things I wanted to achieve but doing it from somewhere that I really wanted to live with that lifestyle. So not mm -hmm. sacrificing all. Uh, in saying that though, I did for 10 years. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, how did that work out for you? <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was very short 10 years, I guess, at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I've forgotten way more than I remember from that period, but uh, I wouldn't probably recommend it to anyone to do it. But at the same time, if that's what you've got to do to set yourself up for life, it was probably a good gig too. Yeah, I can definitely uh, sympathise with you because I did a similar thing. I went and started my first businesses at 21 and didn't surf for 17 years, just got stuck yeah. into building businesses. And it took me to get to just over 35 to go, uh, I'm a surfer and I don't surf. This is, <laughs> this is ridiculous. And I, and I started my own business so that I had freedom. <laughs> yeah. That's a good idea, isn't it? The way it works. <laughs> so tell us, tell us about this business that you built. Uh, the Renet business? Yeah. Yeah. So Renet was my, depending how you look at it, my fourth or sixth startup, my fourth attempt or sixth attempt at business. Mm -hmm. um, and I really wanted to create a business that was very smart. So it ran with or without me. So I had to do certain things and I chose technology for that. And at the turn of the century, it was pretty risky, right? So the whole internet thingy was, you know, not really going to take off or be here like it is today. And you know, we're so used to it. Uh, it's almost a mainstream business today, whereas back then it wasn't was really risky. But I wanted to create a business that worked um, with or without me, the way I could duplicate time and own time as well as make money. And so I started getting into IT and software. And that, I guess, after six attempts or the sixth one worked. So there was four attempts at online software. There was um, well, actually five and one at trying to do networking, like computer networking, computer peer-to-peer and I was shit out of that. <laughs> the very first client, the very first client was the very last client I did with computer networking. <laughs> I don't remember I charged them. I went out there and went, oh, this is too hard. I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah. I just can't do this. There's way too many variables. And uh, I went back to the drawing board and I started playing around more portals. But then I started writing software after May 2001. So when I started doing the databasing and doing some really intelligent things, uh, that's when that's when everything took off because I was able then to provide proper solutions that people would want to keep subscribing to. And that made a difference. And it wasn't called software as a service back then. Everyone knows we pay monthly fees for software, but back then it was, it was really new and risky because everyone used to want to buy the software like you did with Microsoft or something else. Get a CD. <laughs> get a CD. I didn't sell it to anyone and people wanted to, so I had this, had this ceiling of um, people's expectations that I had to bust through all the time. Mm. Um, as it turns out now, it was a, it was a good move. I won't say I was at the forefront or a pioneer, but as it turns out, it was a good idea. 
So walk me through some of the failures that led to it. So what did you test and how did you finally crack the code for a business that worked for you? Well, the, I always wanted to get into IT. If you go back long enough, I actually studied IT at school, uh, but I didn't fit the IT mold as a surfer at school. With computer nerds and the computer teacher, I just was whoop, not even a chance of fitting the mold. So I went, the kids wouldn't even give me a play on the computer, you know, to learn At least it. your school had computers. Yeah, well, we had a computer <laughs> class, right? So, but they were just a bunch of nerds and stuff. And I can't remember how many computers and I managed to get text to scroll on the screen and that was as good as I could do. But I, um, my first attempt at anything to do with this space was a medical website. And I went into partnerships and within three months, I realized I was the only one doing the work and really wanting to create something. And the other person was just hoping to get a free ride. So I had to can that one. And then after that, I went into the networking and then I went into trying to create local portals, things like, um, like local search and that sort of stuff that we uh-huh. know today. So I went into that space. This is in 2000. And then when I started 2001, I started looking for work because I figured I couldn't, I couldn't make anything in this space, right? Uh, so I, I started to lose confidence and so did my wife that, you know, it's just playing on playing computer games or not making things work, not making any money, all those sorts of things, just surfing, mm-hmm. having a good lifestyle, which wasn't the case. I was really trying to find something. And then, um, like I said, in May, 2001, I went up to the Gold Coast and bought some books on programming and that's where it all changed. But the only reason why I managed to persist was because when I went looking for work at the start of 2001, no one would, not only they wouldn't give me a job, no one even gave me an interview. Really? didn't even get an interview to become a salesperson or anything. It was just like, well, I was forced to keep going. I was yeah. forced to go, well, what else do I do? What else? Do, how do I keep pivoting and changing and reinventing? Why do you reckon they wouldn't give you an interview? Look, part of it was because I put my resume online and I made mm-hmm. it a website, which today we know was LinkedIn. Yeah. And I could have been, I could have created a LinkedIn, right? But anyway, yeah. I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could have created a Seek. So I put all my stuff online and probably back then everything had to be uh, you know, paperwork resumes and, uh-huh. and all that stuff. And I didn't have any of that. So I just put a website up. That's what I was building, <laughs> some websites. So I thought, well, I'll put it online. And I'd say that was enough for them to go, nah, what's this guy? He's an idiot. He's, I want a hard copy. I don't want this online <laughs> shit. Um, uh, and now it's standard. If you haven't got an online yeah. presence and, and an online footprint is positive, you just don't have a footprint at all. No. So it's all changed. So I think that's why I never even got an interview, let alone a job. Okay. And thank Thank goodness for that, because if they had given me a job, I wouldn't have persisted and wouldn't have went on the journey. But, yeah. you know, at the time, it was hard work. It was tough. No money. Um, Mrs. that wasn't happy. You know, just, it was tough. It was very tough. So tell me about how did, how did you finally click and make Rena and then go, okay, this is, this, is what I, this is what the, did you go, this is what the customer needs? What was the process around building this version? Yeah, well, the, the short journey of that is, uh, I just bumped the mic. Is it still on? Yep, yeah, good. you're good. Yep. Uh, the short journey that is during that period of um, early 2000 and 2001, I was actually maintaining some agents' websites. So trying to make trying to make a living out of this IT thing, I was actually uh, able to go and talk to some real estate agents and ask them what they needed, and they'd pay me fifty dollars a property to put their property on the internet and take it uh, through the journey of being on the internet with price changes and photo updates and when it was marked mm-hmm. or sold, and then take it off the internet. So fifty dollars a property. I was doing it for car yards as well and caravan yards. And that gave me enough money to, to get by and buy more software because you had to buy all the software back then. It was $1,650 to buy a copy of Photoshop, for example. And, yeah. you know, everything cost big money back then. Plus, I had to buy some computers and 
So I, I kept on getting enough to get by and while I was also discovering and researching stuff. And that's why I decided to write software was because uh, I wanted agents to be able to do that themselves so I could continue on a journey of finding other problems that I could solve. And as it turned out, I wrote a car yard software and I wrote an accommodation software and I wrote uh, the real estate software. And the one that worked, uh, the first was the real estate one. Mm -hmm. So the, the accommodation website never took off because I, I never got time to do it and so did this the car yard it never took off either but i originally started creating things like car sales or wasn't airbnb it was more like stays if you've mm -hmm. ever heard of stays yeah so i created virtually those things back in 2001 but they just got shelved because clients started to want to pay for the real estate one so that's why i knew hey there's this real estate one i think is going to work yeah people want to pay for it it was probably because it was the one i had the, the deepest um, penetration into already as a marketplace mm -hmm. so in 2002 in february was when I officially started the company Renet. I went to the Gold Coast and Port Macquarie and I sold uh, 10 real estate agents in Port Macquarie and 10 real estate agents on the Gold Coast and went, hey, these guys really like this stuff. Uh -huh. This is actually working, people wanna pay. So this is the one that's for me now. So I canned everything else, all the other, so my sixth go at something was the one that got traction. That's how I knew. Awesome. So knowing that it's your six, six go round, what was the key learnings that you'd taken from the other businesses that helped you be successful in setting up this business? What learnings did you bring through? Oh, to tell you the truth, I never really looked back at the others um, at all. Uh, yeah, so I didn't really have any learnings. It was just persistence <laughs> of going forward in the direction I wanted to go. Yeah. You know, it's a bit like saying, well, you know, you got, the, you, got, you got a tube today that was the best tube you've had all year, but what about the other waves? You don't even remember them. You just paddle back out and get the next one every time you fall off. Uh -huh. different. I just went, well, next, next, next. Yeah, and, awesome. you know, I just went with the ones that were working. I, didn't, I ignored all the ones I, that were there, but no, I didn't have any real lessons from them at all. Okay. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> terrible or not terrible? Don't, yeah, don't dwell on the past and the negatives. Moving forward. <laughs> well, learn, look, you learn from the past, you live for today and you look for the future and that's it. You know, I mean, I just... I, I saw opportunity right there and then to go, I think this real estate one's going to work. I'm yeah. going to back that one. And I just forgot about everything. I just started going out and dealing with clients and getting more clients and asking mm -hmm. what they wanted. And the business had momentum. I didn't have to look back. All yeah. I did was look forward and that was it. So if you were to give advice to someone now in a similar situation, they've done model businesses or they haven't quite, they just haven't clicked over to making it a real business yet. It's still a bit of a grind. What advice would you give someone at that stage looking to push forward? Well, the one thing I did was I spent a lot of time on the coal face. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, I didn't create a product and then go to the market and hope they bought it. I went to the market and asked them what products they'd like and then built products on that, which allowed me to build uh, more clients because I had a better product. So it became yeah. this um, revolving door of growth the whole mm -hmm. time. So I, you know, whether that's a formula for today, I'm going to suggest it still is. Yeah. Okay. But it certainly was the formula that I chose at the time. So I spent a lot of time on the coal face, just finding out what they wanted. You know, as long as it was within the reasons of what I could do. Um, well, then I'd go and develop that and I'd make it work. And like I said, it improved the product, kept client retention. Um, it did all the right things for me. So being on the coal face of where your clients are and what they really want, because you can think they want something, but it might not really be what they want. And then you think, yeah. why aren't they buying it? Well, they're not buying it because it's not what they want. So if you go to the coal face, you find out what they want. Yeah. Um, and I spent, I spent the first 
uh, well, until September 2003, I knocked on doors selling the software, like physically going door to door. And any rejection I got, I got face to face. So in other words, I went, oh, okay. Or any success I got, I got face to face. And I went, oh, that worked. So it gave me more ammunition for the next person. And you can I'm iterate big them. Believer, big believer in the cold face, getting out there and talk to your clients and actually find out what it is they want and what can you provide to make it work for them. Yeah, I love that. Um, too many people want to try and hide behind their computers and their ideas and send somebody else to the cold face and they don't get that live feedback and be able to iterate and make the product to market fit based on what the market wants. We see a lot of people, you know, they get so attached to their idea and they think it's a great idea and they get so blinded that they don't actually ask the customer if, if they think that if the customer thinks it's a great idea. Yeah, or, so, the, or the bigger customer market, just because mum and dad, your brother and sister and your friends all go, oh, that's awesome. And they might even buy some of this stuff off you. Well, that's not really going to make you into a successful business. That's yeah. just, you know, then what? What happens when they all buy whatever it is? You know, I mean, you need other people. You need real clients. You need real business. Yeah. Um, that's just, unless it's a hobby, you need mm -hmm. real stuff. And you've got to go beyond that to the people who are actually going to pay you the money. And you can just go talk to them. Go, go actually sit down physically talk to them yeah definitely it's if you're not getting the feedback live and you're not actually willing to ask the questions and and cop the rejection then you can't ever expect to have a product that is going to truly have customers banging down your door to buy yeah correct yeah i agree yeah when it comes to your building the business did you sit down and do the traditional business plans or how did you go about and you're like, nah. <laughs> uh, and I know you advise people these days as well on, on, on their businesses. G just give me your, your view on things like planning and, you know, going through the details. Yeah, look, I know it's, there, there are those people that probably thrive on a business plan and a proper structured business plan with, with budgets and agendas and um, schedules. And, I, and I'm, all, I'm all for them personally. Now, look, I'm a D-class student. I went surfing all day instead of English and maths. So, you know, I, didn't, I just didn't do all that. So, but I, it doesn't mean I didn't have goals or ambitions or it didn't mean that I, that I didn't want to put in the effort required to get the reward. You know, I did want to do that. So at the end of the day, I was very big on just setting goals. Okay, you know, this month, this quarter, this year, I want to do this, this, and this, and this. And next year, I want to, I want to have had achieved those certain things. And I didn't achieve all of them, but I was very much so a goal setter and a goal achiever. Mm -hmm. um, and, and if that was my business plan, that was fine. People go, that is your business plan. I just didn't diarize it. I didn't write it down. In saying that, though, I would get out books from time to time and mud map you know, expenses. Okay, well, I'm going to spend half a million dollars this year in salaries. I mean, so what's, what's the revenue going to look like next year? And what's that going to, well, how much, all right, well, that's good news. So I can invest more in this area. I can invest more in that area. Or, you know, so I can employ two more staff or, so I did do, I did do a lot of mapping, but I call it mm -hmm. mud mapping rather than business plan. I certainly couldn't have taken my bits of paper to a bank and said, can I have a loan? <laughs> <laughs> they would have just laughed at me. But you know, at the end of the day, it's not about, you can have the best laid plan in the world, but it's none of that's as important as the actions. The execution. It's just, you know, I can make glossy stuff all day, but you know, you've got to, you've got to go and put all the proper actions in it. And like I say, get to the coal fakes, talk to clients and have customers that are happy and want to keep spending money with you. So yeah, your marketing's important, your plan's important, but you know, at the end of the day, I was, I was a go getter. And I know some people would say, 
I did a thousand things wrong and they're probably right, but I did 10,000 things right. You know, so I'm not worried about the thousand things. Like I didn't have an accurate business plan. Not important. Well, you were managing like $1.125 trillion worth of business. That's the figure. Yeah. Yeah. So you must've been doing something right. What, like when you really think about that though, tell me what, tell me habits, behaviors, or the things that made you do things right. What, what made Scotty able to do that without a solid business plan, without the, the previous success? Uh, look, I was, I was very customer centric. So at the end of the day, I was really loyal to the people that were paying me money. And I didn't actually uh, want to get sales. I wanted to get clients, if that makes any sense. Mm. I wanted customers, people who were going to yep. stay with me over and over and over again. Yep. You know, the, the, like um, there's acronyms for it now. Um, but I'll call it lifetime value of a client. There's some acronym yeah. to go with that. And I don't know what it is. Someone mm-hmm. who does business plans can tell you. But, you know, the lifetime value of a client is, is incredible. So if you look at someone today and satisfying that client, retaining that client for, for 5, 10, 20 years, it's a massive amount of money. So I was very big on that stuff. And that was the other reason why I was big on the cold face and picking up the phone. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when I finished, I had 1,650 officers around Australia that were clients. How, right? There's wow. physically... That's offices, let alone the salespeople. It was yeah. physically impossible for me to actually do that. So I had to find other ways to be smarter with it in the end. Things like, you know, the way I communicated with them by email or the way I went to conferences and got in front of a thousand people instead of, you know, going one-to-one offices. Mm. You know, it was something I did in 2003, but I certainly wasn't doing it in 2018. Mm. You know, it's just not possible anymore. So, you know, if I went and saw every office once a day with 1,650 of them, I mean, it's going to take five years you know, it's just not possible no uh, and that's if i had worked every day so you've got to get smarter at things in the end so you know how do you do the one to many things um but i still big believer in they were always customers they weren't sales they were always there because i appreciated their business and i wanted to retain their business not just get a sale and give them what they want and say goodbye so the whole after sales and the the fries with that moment you know what else do they yeah. want what else do they want what else do they want and satisfying that and the only reason why it worked, and you're right, it was $1.125 trillion worth of real estate. And the only reason why it worked is because they were happy with the product. If they weren't, they wouldn't have paid. They wouldn't have stayed a client. No. And I love flipping that mindset, like really thinking about how do we make them a, a lifetimer? So how do you get them as a lifer? What does that look like? What can be the product that keeps them happy? What, what else could you potentially provide to them so that they stay with you and don't have to go elsewhere? And how do you show them loyalty? Yeah. And I think if everyone looked at their customer that way, too, too often we just start with our product, right? And the problem we want to solve, we don't actually think about our lifer and what, what will make their life easy and why would they want to stay with us? Yeah. And, and I, I hear all this today. I mean, I come from a sales background. I spent 10 years selling insurance door to door, which, and, and, you know, I guess we solved problems, but we didn't. We actually created solutions. And when I hear people talk about their products and it's a problem solved, well, it's not. You're a solution provider. You know what I mean? And the more you can look at what solutions you provide and what they, they want, the better you're going to be able to present your products and keep those people on board and want to pay for that because it's mm-hmm. a solution. No one likes their problems. They just want solutions. So mindset's really important too. You know, what else going to do to improve their business? What else going to do to save them, save them time or make them money? It's a mm-hmm. solution we're looking for. You know, I know it's a problem we're solving, but that mindset yeah. me drives me nuts. Yeah, we don't solve problems. We create solutions and opportunities. That's what we provide people. Oh, I love that flip. 
yeah, just get, I can't stand that word problem. I mean, we don't, and it's all over the internet. You'll see it everywhere. You yep. know, to sell something, you've got to be solving a problem. No, it was bullshit. No, you've got to be providing a solution. You've got to be saving the money. You've got to be making the money. You've got to create opportunities for clients. Mm-hmm. How do you then take pain away? Pay. They'll pay for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It takes the pain away, but it takes the pain away in the way they want it to be taken away, which is a return or, or an opportunity. That's what they want. Make their life easier. Yes. So how many staff did you end up with? Well, in the end, we, we were quite tight. So in the end, it was only 14. So it wasn't oh. like it was a massive yep. you know, thousand staff company. No, it was only small. It was all IT. So everything was duplicatable. A team of web designers, okay. a team of um, programmers, a team of support, um, you know, and off we went. We could manage all that all over Australia and New Zealand just from Sortel through smart use of technology. But it was, it was high, by the way. So when you look at, when I look at staff, I could have either gone high or wide. Mm-hmm. Pay less, have more, or pay more, have less. Yeah. So I, I actually chose in the end to really look after my staff and keep it tight, which meant, meant it was risky, you know, because if you lose, lose a staff member, you know, you lose 8% or, of your yeah. staff, right? Whereas I could have spread it out. But then you've got to turn them over all the time and there's a cost to that. Yep. So I, my staff retention was really high. And I actually looked after them just like I looked after clients. So the lifetime value of an employee is also really worth it as well. You know, so if you've spent, you know, $50,000 on a staff member after two years, you've invested a hundred thousand dollars on that staff member and you want to get a return out of that. Now double that. If you've spent a hundred thousand dollars after two years, you've invested $200,000 and you need to get a return on that. So, you know, staff and clients I treated in the same sort of mindset was about, retaining, getting value and lifetime value of a staff member just as much as it was a client. So talk me through that a bit more because this is where I see so, like coming from a recruitment background, I want to sometimes throttle people because they just want to pay minimum money. They don't see the value of the investing in the people and the, the return on investment when you do pay and you do look after your staff rather than just getting the cheapest bang for buck. Walk me through your recruitment process your hiring process and how you actually did manage to get them on board especially in Sortel and keep them yeah retention was um well part of the journey but if you go back to the interview process or the hiring process I was never looking for the sugar I was always looking for the cream so I wasn't oh, sorry I was never looking for the cream I was always looking for the sugar not the people that are on top and floating to the top and and that's mm-hmm. where they are I was looking for the people that just a little bit of stirring you know a little bit of sugar stir them up and all of a sudden they're off and running right so I wasn't looking for people who were at a certain uh, quality standard. Mm-hmm. I was looking for people who wanted to go on a journey. So for example, if I hired a website designer, a designer, and I had an ad out for a website designer, someone came along and said, well, I'm a graphic artist, but I'd love to learn more about web. Bingo. So that's the person who now has a desire to go from here to here. Now I can help out with that journey. Yeah. At the end of the day, no matter who came into the business, they all had to learn the industry and the product. Like it was our own proprietary product. I 100% wrote the code around it. You know, so the only thing that they um, could bring in was some other um, languages like HTML or JavaScript or mm-hmm. PHP, MySQL. The rest of it was all our own proprietary software. So I had to teach them everything anyway. So what I needed to have was people that came into the business with the right, the right mindset. And then it was up to me to create that environment that they could go on a journey of growth and development and get rewarded for it. 
if that makes any sense. Yeah. I was 100%. never looking for, oh, well, there's a 50 grand employee and I need three of them. No, I wanted, I wanted someone that wanted to be a 50 grand employee, but get to 150 grand a year employee by opportunity and growth yeah. and development. Great. And that's how I grew staff. That's how I grew product. That's how I grew company. And that's how I retained staff and got the lifestyle I wanted in the end. Yeah, beautiful. Because they'll be totally invested. If, they're, if they've grown with you and they've helped grow the business as well, they're going to be far more invested in it and loyal to you and loyal to the product because it's their baby too, right? And they all got uh, bonuses and rewards based on their effort. So every single staff member was on a bonus system, like every single one of them. Maybe not the first three months, but once they established themselves, then I started to give pay rises and I started mm -hmm. to give more opportunities to earn. So more incentives, more bonuses. So if they did work extra, they got paid extra. If they went the extra mile, they got paid extra. If they come up with some really good ideas, well, I'd pay them a bonus for it, you know? So that environment was always there. Like the, I called it the business within the business. So the opportunity for staff to have that safety net of employment, but also if they worked on a Saturday, get paid a bit extra, not just because it's in their salary and we need a bit of stuff done now. No, they got yeah. paid extra. Yeah. And I think that also comes down to, like if you think about yourself, if you feel like you're rewarded and valued, because often it comes down to, the feeling of being valued. If you pay them a bit extra, you recognize their work, they feel valued. When you don't feel valued, you don't, you don't want to be loyal. And yeah. if someone else comes along, you're going to bounce. So it's about how do you show the, that they're valued to you and that you appreciate them and then yeah. they're going to stay. Um, what sort of things did you do to build culture? Uh, look, in, in culture in what way? Give me a definition of what, how would you, well, how would you describe the culture of your business? What was, what was it like walking into your offices? Well, everyone had total, well, when you went to the front door of the office, we had the business hours written on the front door and those business hours went something along the lines. We start, we start about nine or 10, some days as late as 10, sometimes as early as eight or, you know, and then and we knock off at, you know, five, but sometimes four or three and blah, blah. And except for when the surf's good it was exactly <laughs> what was written on the shop front. And so basically I had uh, a culture of once again, no micromanagement. I was looking for the sugar and the people who wanted to go on a journey. So I did no micromanagement and I also had a no fire policy. So, you know, between all that, there was this environment where they could come and go as they wanted. So there was no office hours. If someone wanted to start um, at six, they started at six. If someone wanted to start at nine, cause they went or, or 10, sorry, cause they went to the school assembly. That's fine. They'd simply just let us know. And there was no, oh, but you, know, you need to do another hour tonight. You know, there was none yeah. of that sort of stuff. They just came and went as they pleased. They just would do the right thing and mention it. Um, so that was a team environment, if that makes mm. any sense. And an and um, environment where they could make all their own decisions and so on. Same as if someone wanted to go on holidays. Scott, I want to go on holidays. I never said no to holidays once. The only thing I'd always say is just make sure everyone else on the team knows and you've worked it all out. So don't leave the team empty. That's the last yeah. thing we want. We, remember we ran a tight business. So, you know, you've all, you know, three support staff go on holidays. What have I got? No support. <laughs> so just make sure we're all okay with it and it's not wrapped around something. And I'll always say yes. I'll never say no. Even if it's holidays in advance, I don't mind paying in advance. If you haven't got three weeks off and you really want to go on three weeks to Europe and you've only got two, well, I'll still give you the three weeks. It doesn't bother me. So that, but that was, that was the, I'm not sure if you call it culture, but that was the business environment that I had. So we didn't have bean bags and we didn't have pool tables and we didn't have none of that. I find all that stuff bullshit to tell you the truth. Yeah. But what I had was a staff that felt secure in their job and able to, to grow and develop themselves if they wanted to. And I tried to look after them as best as I could. And sometimes 
Um, sometimes that didn't work or sometimes there'd be an argument in the office and, and there'd be some argy-bargy with some people. So I became a bit of a psychologist in the end. You've got to try and sort this person out, sort that person out, get some loving back and things like that. You know, over the years, I did have some fallouts and I just had to let it fall out and pick up the pieces again and off we go again. So, you know, not, nothing's ever perfect. There was no magic wand. What I love about that is that is culture to me. So that's a culture of empowerment. That's a culture of loyalty. It's a culture of team. Um, that's, I think, too many people get wrapped up in the old saying of culture, like, oh, like Google with the, with the sleeping bag, with the, the bean bags and the food and everything. That, that's not what that's not even what the culture of Google is. Uh, it's just their nice little things that are on the side. The culture is really about the feeling and the environment that is created within an organization, how people treat each other and how they feel when they walk into the offices. Yeah. So as a manager and growing and, and learning this stuff, was there any books or tools that helped you to start navigating those, those fallouts or, you know, handling the scuttlebutt or anything like that. Is there anything that you could recommend? No, look, I, well, I, I ran sales teams during the nineties. So when I sold insurance, I ran, I ran the actual sales team. So I had the managers of managers in the end and so on. And even up to 35 people I had in the team. So, you know, I ran a team of call it 35 and there was always stuff going on. And back then I did read some books. Um, like the one a minute manager, how to win friends oh, yes. and influence people and all those sorts of books. I ran all that. So I didn't need to. I think to... they're all over there. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. No, I'm not sure what I just looked at then. No, but what it... you just put on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I've lost more books than I can find. I don't know what I did with them. I'd read them and go, yep, next. Yeah. And, um, but you know, at the end of the day, no, I, I learned a lot about running teams in the nineties. And when you own the, when you own your own company, it's a shitload easier than when I didn't. Because um, I made the final decisions of what I wanted. So I didn't have anyone mm -hmm. else telling me how I should and shouldn't do things. If I yeah. wanted to let someone have holidays or if I wanted to allow staff have a bonus or I just made decisions, right? It was easy. So it was a, it was a hell of a lot easier than running the sales teams for a major international insurance company than it was running a renet company and, and trying to keep staff happy because I was in full control. Yeah. So for me, it was, it was easy. So I really didn't see too many issues. It was only when they had little issues themselves and every now and then they'd blow up and you go, oh. and you know, sometimes, sometimes I was smart enough to just sit back and go, well, let's see if I get two strong people out of this or one. And, yeah. and I always wanted to try and get two strong people out of it. Never, ever worked. Not once did I end up with two really strong people after when the shit really hit the fan. Yeah. I'd always end up with just one strong person. I go, oh, well, that's the way it goes. Unfortunately, um, but what I was hoping was to get more strong people, better, 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 better. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, like I say, I, I had to sit back and just go, well, if I intervene now, I'm actually weakening the situation yeah. instead of strengthening it. Either way, I need an outcome. And I don't know whether, if I look back, whether I should have intervened in some of these situations or not. But I, I know one thing for sure. I didn't, I didn't sit back because I wanted it to explode. I sat back because I wanted them to get stronger out of it. Yeah. I wanted someone to be the biggest person and go, look, all right, let's just get along and get this shit done. Let's just sort it out. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, and I'm only talking, what, was it two or three of those in 18 years? It wasn't many. It wasn't like it was every three months or something. Yeah. But yeah, there was a couple of them. Over. There was, I think there was one in like 2015 and one in 2010. And yeah, one in, uh, was there one in the earlys? I can't remember. But anyway. Yeah. You mentioned a couple of really good books there, which I think if there's someone that's starting out a business or they haven't managed staff, especially sales staff before, um, that I found when I went into running recruiters, which are salespeople effectively as well, 
is that one minute manager and the one minute manager gets the monkey off its back. (laughs) One minute manager Um, meets the monkey. Meets the monkey, yeah. They really helped me because that's that's what helps you put the put the power back on them, right? If you if you get the monkey off your back and be able to to know that it's not up to you to to take all of the shit on board, that can really help free you up. Um, and one that really helped me in later years was have you read Ego is the Enemy? No. Yeah, understanding where the ego comes into play with when you want to save people and like you know bail people out is a is another really good. Uh, understanding because you think that you're you're doing it because you want to help but it's maybe it's trying to make you feel better about yourself as well well there's so many books at the end of the day the the best thing is go and get help yeah that's the bottom line read a book now there's online courses That, that wasn't around in the 90s in fact, if you look over my shoulder, you'll see Personal Power from Tony Robbins. Uh-huh. Uh, we, that was the podcast of the 90s. I drove around <laughs> and I listened to, I listened to tapes in the car. Yeah. Um, you know, so you, but go and get help is the message there. Whether it's reading a book, paying someone to come out and sit in your, in your workshop. Um, I mean, I, I constantly get it nowadays where people are paying me to come and talk to them about well, what you do and how do you handle these things. Mm-hmm. And just try to give them the confidence and belief that it's okay that things aren't perfect. You know, it's, it's okay. I mean, you just got to deal with it and keep the goals in mind of what are your goals and I go through that sort of stuff with them just to help them get to that next level. And, and you could do it by reading books or you can go and pay someone, do a course online. I mean, shit, you can go and spend $4,000, go to one of his courses too if you want to. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's, all, there's, there's never been a better time to succeed than now. Everything's in front of us. Everything's right there. How would you suggest someone picks what learning to get or who to engage? Well, that's a toughie. It's just someone you can relate to. So, you know, you mentioned earlier about swearing. If someone doesn't like swearing, well, then you, you and I aren't for them. <laughs> I'm not their people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I'm not really going to relate to them. They're not really going to relate to me. It's the yeah. two-way street. You just got to find people you can relate to. So who, whoever it is, you know. Um, and that doesn't mean... Um, like as surfers, I mean, you can tell because I've still got blonde hair in my eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> They're still there. Um, well, at least you've got eyebrows. I have to have mine tattooed on. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, some people actually want someone out of the industry. Someone wants someone external. They don't want someone as another surfer. They want someone better. Or, you know, it could be a football player or a basketball player. It could yeah. be a real business person that's in Sydney and has that corporate profile. Uh, uh, wait, 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 wait. Just because we're <laughs> not in Sydney means we're not real business people? But you know what I mean? People, whatever you... I have you... to get my pinstripe suit back out. Yeah, I know. Look at, look at mine. i got a pocket on this one. Yeah, so, nice. Very corporate. I, I literally, I took scissors and I cut the sleeves off mine. <laughs> <laughs> but it, well, you just got to find someone who's going to answer the questions you want, whatever that is. You know, if you, if you think, oh, well, I really want to get some sales course and you see someone online that you think you relate to, well, that's, that's the right one for you. There's no yeah. right answer. Um, you know, because we all like things for different reasons. We like them because they're young, they're old, they're male, they're female. They surf, they don't surf. They drive a Ford or they drive a Holden. Ford. You remember those? <laughs> Actually, one of my favourite cars is a nineteen thirty-four Ford Touring Sedan. I want thirty-four. Nineteen thirty-four. Yeah. So the old school Bonnie and Clyde. But I have two favourite cars. One's a Ford and one's a Chev. It's like the competing. I want a fifty-seven Chevy Nomad Surf Wagon. Or a 34 Ford Touring Sedan Hot Rod. <laughs> they sound cheap. They sound really cheap, right? Yeah, <laughs> super cheap. But a little bit more practical than the Lotus. So... <laughs> there you go. 
I think that's a key thing with um, with seeking advice. Don't don't put your head in the sand. And this is where I see a lot of business owners, especially uh, in Australia and especially sort of on the coast, thinking that it's weak to get help, thinking that they have to do it themselves, thinking that they should just like bang it out or... Well, no one does it themselves. Yeah. No, no one actually does it themselves, you know, ever. There's always someone around somewhere that's helped in some way, you know, and even if it is, even if you are on your own and you go get help from, from podcasts like this or that or whatever, I mean, you're still doing it with the favour, the, the help and the advice and the experience of someone else. Mm-hmm. We, we, no one does it on their own. Everyone goes gets help. Everyone, yeah. you know. It's, it's all, and it's like I said, there's never been a better time to succeed because the information's right there. You sit on LinkedIn all day, you're inspired and motivated all day. Yeah. And that's, as an example, um, you know, but you can go YouTube people's advice all the time too. Yeah, there is so much advice there. What I, what I find with a lot of people is they don't have a knowledge problem though, they have an implementation problem. Yeah. So they whinge and complain that they, you know, did this course, paid the four grand to go to Tony and it did nothing for them. What's your advice to those people? Well, you know, uh, that may be true, but mostly you're right. Mostly it's not because Tony Robbins wasn't right. It's mostly because either the time's not right or you just didn't want to put the effort in that was required to get the outcomes. You know, there's no such a thing as show me the baby, ignore the labor pains. They both come together, <laughs> right? They, yeah. You can't have one without the other. Yeah. And that's just the way business is. You have to do your apprenticeship of business. You have to go out and do the hard yards and do your time and commit to stuff. You know, if you, if you only want to work and get into business and think you're going to work 20 or 30 hours a week, well, you're a dick. The reason why, <laughs> the reason why most people, and I'll always encourage anyone who says, sure, I'll see about starting a business, I'm always going to encourage them, but on the one basis that you understand that that's an opportunity for you to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week, not 20 or 30. It's not the other way around. You know, it's, it's actually your opportunity to, you know, I mean, when I renovated this office, there was two types of trade people. There was the people that knocked off at three every day and the people that worked till six. Two different types of tradies in this room. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know, maybe one had Friday off. Great. He worked four days, sorry, five days in four. Or maybe he actually just made more money. You know, mm-hmm. if you're charging $50 an hour a week, sorry, $50 an hour as a tradie and you work an extra three hours a day for five days, that's a lot of money. Yeah. That's a lot of money. It's a board. Well, well it's $1,500 a week. Yeah. It's, um, and the thing is, we see a lot of people start, start businesses because they want the lifestyle, but not realizing you have to do the hard yards first and be yeah, willing and to put in that. Unless you're just lucky. And you can rely on luck or, or play around with luck if you want. But the reality is, no, the reason why if you want to start a business or else just get a job, go get a job yeah. that pays you 38 hours a week and you're not allowed to work anymore. You can go and get a job. It's a shitload easier and keep a hobby on the side as a side hustle. But if you really want to get into business, the reason why you're into business is because you want to, you want to um, have opportunities to grow and succeed. Mm-hmm. And, and th- it's not hard. It's not hard to work that out. You know, if you just want to, you know, get up at eight o'clock in the morning, go serving till 11 and, you know, then go do a few hours work Well, you really got a hobby. Really. You just have a hobby. It's not really a career or a job. And then, and if that's all you want to do, that's great. But don't complain when other people succeed. Yes. Don't Don't say, oh, they're so lucky. Well, no, they they paid a price. They, they, look, I often say I worked till I was 70. I did it in half the time. (laughs) I mean, I worked my ring out. 
I mean, it wasn't, there was no magic wand. No. Lots of time away from home, lots of time away from the surf, lots of sacrifices. Uh, even though people think it must have been easy. No, it wasn't. It was a shitload of hard work and a shitload of missing out. Yeah. And, um, you know, you see the swell forecast and you go, but, oh, man, I'm committed. I'm in Sydney oh. next week. And you go, but it's, it's the week of the year. It's finally turned up. It's finally And the banks here. are there and everything's right. I can't be there. And it just happened all the time. Yeah. That's, um, and it's, yeah, it's the sacrifice you've got to make to, to live your dreams. But what, what tools or tips would you give someone so that they can still have a little bit of life balance while they're building the business? Well, I... I have a famous saying, I like to call it famous, school teacher hours. So I broke things into terms. Okay? <laughs> so I never got nine till three, but you know, I was, you know, school teachers and I work a little bit more than that, but I'm just saying, you know, as an analogy, yeah, the kids- at least eight forty-five till three or five, right? <laughs> the kids go to school nine till three and they do four 10 week terms in Australia. Mm-hmm. So in other words, I broke things into terms. So I was happy to work hard for a certain period and then, have a break, go on a surf trip, go on the caravan somewhere, uh, go overseas, do whatever. So I I broke things into terms. And that was the benefit of being self-employed was I could say, well, you know, I'm going to the Mintowies in August and that's just the way it is. You know what I mean? I'm just going to work around that stuff. Um, But, you know, I also tried not to make appointments before 11 because what happens is if the surf's good, I don't want to come in at nine because I've got appointments. I'll come in at 11. But I was also happy to work to eight o'clock at night. Yeah. It didn't bother me, but that's the benefit of being self-employed. That's the benefit of owning the company. Mm-hmm. I can make those rules up. So the, the, the advice is when we talk about balance, the, the, for me, balance is about balancing things out for effort versus reward, not, you know, not doing as much. It's actually doing more and getting more for it. But you get the ability to be able to control that time, effort and energy. You know, is it, if, if you're, if you own a restaurant, well, you know, you're going to work till midnight, but you've got all morning, you know, so that's great. Great surfing lifestyle. But if you're going to open a cafe, well, you're going to be working all morning when it's offshore. Yeah. Well, that's okay. You know, you've got to create a business that allows you to achieve what it is you want to achieve and still work 40, 60, 70 hours a week if you have to or want to. Yeah. That's, I love that. So with my business life engineered, my whole thing is working with the founders of businesses for them to engineer their business to serve their, the life that they want. So we get like as entrepreneurs, as business owners, just as humans, you get the choice to wake up every day and to do what you want to do. Really. If you, if you, if you look at it with the right lens and you take control. So yeah. if you do, if you know you're a surfer, then design your business to suit that. Like I've even seen trade businesses where, you know, most tradies are on site at 6 a.m. Other ones go, okay, we're, the, we're different. So we will actually, we'll come in and take over when they all go. Yeah. And it won't work all of the time. Maybe you have to have some of your crew that prefer to play touch football at night and they want to be on site in the, in the morning and, and run split shifts. But this is your opportunity to create your business to work around it and it's about yeah doing the hard yards when you've got to do the hard yards but but designing it to fit your lifestyle so that you still get fulfilled as you're going through the process like it's not just all grind because if you do just all grind you will burn out and i call it go splat you go splat (laughs) yeah and that's why i broke things into terms like school teachers yeah yeah gives you something to look Look it doesn't matter. To... It might have been a six-month term, by the way. It didn't have to be yeah. ten-week terms. Yeah. You know, they were, they were, but they were terms, and you know, I'd start every year by going, "What are my terms? Where am I going away?" Yeah. So anyone that's not in their 2020 calendar and have blocked out their two-week holidays or one week's here, weddings, anniversaries, birthdays, all those things, they know that are coming next year. We'll block some of that stuff out. 
plan your trips and then work around them. They're your terms. Um, and that's how I got the balance out of it. Well, that's one of the ways I got the balance out of it. But you know what? People would ring up and go, oh, look, can you come to Sydney next Thursday? The first thing you do is open up, open up the forecast and go, next <laughs> Thursday is going to be a bit tough. How's Friday? Yeah. <laughs> And we too often we jump to trying to people please, right? And we say yes without without applying our our own filters because most of them could do Friday. They just suggested Thursday, and it's yeah. about asking the question, right? Yeah, you know, I've got some things on next Thursday. You know, it's just you know. <laughs> oh, if it's a deal breaker, I might be able to move them, but yeah, yeah mostly yeah. that's right. You know, did I miss out? Yeah, I mean, there was plenty of things like I I I booked this podcast like a month ago. I couldn't predict, but it, you know, it's, it's now in the afternoon, it's on short, it's flat, worked out perfect. <laughs> you know, so yeah. Yeah. It's dead flat outside right Terrible. now. <laughs> it's the season for travel, if you ask me. Yeah, I know. And uh, the season was late to Bali. They've only just got the wet season now. It's been pumping up until about two weeks ago still, um, which, yeah, I don't know what my decision, my decision on, I'm going to be back in Australia more. It was like, I just left Bali. <laughs> <laughs> and it's pancake um but these are the choices we make so i want to talk a little bit more about your surfing career yep sure tell us tell us that background well as a kid uh i didn't start surfing till year eight um and i come from a pretty poor background so i got lent a surfboard and stuff but then i got i sort of got sponsored straight away into some surfboards which was pretty good that he gave them to me but by the time I was 16, I was trying to compete and I um, had no money to compete. So instead of having a crack at competing, uh, I just gave up on it. It was too hard for me. So I would have loved to have been able to have had the opportunity to, to compete properly and go places. Um, you know, I ended up in some surfing magazines. Uh, I got sponsored from, you know, the, the sponsors I all got were mostly from free surfing. I mean, now there's a career in free surfing. Yeah. But the other thing that was a struggle back then with surfing was it used to be three to the beach. So any, any of the older people will remember <laughs> three to the beach. So, and I used to prefer to go out and do some turns and, and look for the waves that allowed me to do some bigger turns. But I never, ever got through. Um, you can call it bias or call it just the judging criteria was different. Mm -hmm. So I sort of gave up on that dream pretty early. Um, from about 16 onwards, I just went, well, it just physically can't happen for me. Not from Sortel, you know, catching a train down to the state titles and being tired when you get there. And, um, the one year I should have done really well, it was flat, small, and some kid paddled on top of me when we were hassling for a wave and I got the interference. I was kicked out. That was the end of that. I went, well, you know, stuff this. I'd saved up and worked hard for that money to go there. There was no way I was having another crack at any other comps after that. They can get stuffed. So, you know, it was, that's fine. It happens to all kids. You know, only yeah. a few ever make it, right? So but I just would have loved to have had a crack at it. Um, people often ask, you know, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I, the only thing I ever want to do was be a professional surfer, but I never got it, never even got the chance. So, but I would have loved it. Then I, I gave up surfing in the, in the nineties. So practically in the nineties, I didn't surf, um, at heart. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I still carried a board and did I go for a few surfs? Yeah, I did. But you know, when you talk about surfing a dozen times a year, as opposed to a dozen times a week. It's just not the same, right? No. So I practically gave up and I was, I was nearly a ton, nearly a hundred kilos. I was a size 38 pants. And that's when I went through that whole midlife crisis thing. Um, and I didn't get back into surfing at first. I got into triathlons because I figured that was the fittest sport I could do. Wow. And I got all the way back down to a size 30 pants and 70 kilos. And now oh. I'm, back, I'm 80 odd kilos now, but you know, I'm actually comfortable. Yeah. Uh, 
with where I am. But, you know, I got into that and then I got sick of that and I started surfing again about 2001. And then when my kids came through, as everyone else does, uh, I thought I'll start competing with them. But the whole criteria had changed. And instead of, instead of being through to the beach, it was about power turns and proper turns. And all of a sudden I was, I was winning comps. I went, oh, even against the kids. You know, the kids, I couldn't beat kids when I was 18, if that makes any sense, and try and get somewhere. How, how is it that I'm 40 odd years old and I'm competing in the Opens and getting through to the Australian titles? I'm going, because well, it had changed. It had changed I from being. I think the first time I spoke to you, you were at the Aussie titles. Possibly, yeah. So, you know, so I've actually done all right out of that. Um, but, you know, I am getting a bit older now. This year I hurt my shoulder finally. <laughs> Right, finally. <laughs> finally, I'm going, well, maybe I am a bit old. So, yeah, I'm getting a little bit harder and harder to do it. I certainly, I don't do the airs or anything. Uh, I can't do an air to save my life. <laughs> very, very old school surfing. But I really enjoyed um, the ability to be able to, the thing for comp like competing for me was the ability to be able to focus and put together the training and the discipline and all the things required to get through heats. You know, the one turn, one wave, one heat at a time type thing. And that's just like business. It's exactly the same thing, but it gave me a chance to go, well, hang on a minute. I got really good at goal setting. I got really good at discipline, but what about in surfing, which is what I love. So it gave me the chance to, to do that. And just the benefit was whether I didn't get through a heat or not, it just gave me the chance to do that focus. You know, in the last minute when you're coming third or fourth, and you need a sixth, that determination, that grit and that practicing that. Um, and that's what I really enjoyed about competing with surfing again. And it was just a bonus. They kind of liked my surfing. Yeah, that's really cool. I love that you just linked the two together. So I was going to ask you, how do you see the similarities between competition surfing and running a business? And what, what personality traits or, or habits do you need to form that can cross the two different disciplines? Oh, there's shitloads. Like even, even if you look at the 20-minute heats as the formula, you know, it's the last five minutes where you win and lose heats by your attitude. And it's the same in business. You can do three quarters of the work, but it's the last quarter that actually makes you successful and gets things off the ground and to the next level. And it's the same in business as it is <laughs> It's the same thing. And now the, that, they say Slater's is the master of the last minute or two and getting through and winning his heats because he never friggin' gave up. Yeah. You know, Medina's the same. Love, I hate him. He's the same. He's an animal. He'll never give up till the death. Okay, and that's how Slater was. And those guys, the reason why they get so good is they just never get complacent. They're yeah. always competing right to the end. They only go in a heat for one reason, it's to win a heat. Mm -hmm. They go in a heat to see how they go. They go in a heat to win. And there's a big difference between, well, I'll see how I go. I'm just going in the comp for a bit of fun. To now I'm going in the comp to win. And every heat, every wave, every turn is done with that sort of determination. Yeah. Do you fall? Sure, I fell off plenty of times in comps. You know, just the way it goes. But do you go back out and go harder on the next wave or have a different strategy on the next wave or do what you need to do on the next wave and then go harder again after that? You know, it's, it's, it's that same thing in business. Now, did I ever have business go smoothly? Shit, no. There was weeks, days, months where it wasn't right. I had servers go down and clients not happy. I had all those things. But did I let it stop me? No. It's the same thing in serving. What is your biggest failure in business? Oh, Jesus. There's, there's a few of them. Um, Best wipeout in business. <laughs> I've lost. I've lost up to a quarter of a million dollars in just business deals. Mm -hmm. um, there was investments. There was a guy that sued me. Um, it didn't work though, but it didn't stop him taking me to court. 
Yeah. Uh, when it got to court, finally got to the Supreme Court, in New South Wales, he caved and went, oh, okay then. Um, but didn't stop the cost of that battle yeah. for six months. Um, you know, some of those things were some of the big failings. Um, in fact, if you talk about the, let's just use the court case as an example. Christ, I learned a lot about the legal system in six months. You know, what's law, what's an agreement. I learned so many things about, and this was 2006. So I learned so much in that era, instead of it knocking me back, it actually gave me such a good platform legally going forward that anytime anyone ever spoke about anything legal after that, I was totally comfortable with it. I understood it, you know, wasn't scared about it whatsoever. What learning could you pass on to other business owners from that process? Is there something that you think you should have done up front with the business or what could you pass on to other people? I tried. I, look, we, I, I grew up Renet with just handshake agreements all the time. We never had any formal contracts or anything formal. And the same thing happened with this business that um, I was sort of a half owner in. So it was all handshake stuff. You know, when it came down to the court of law, regardless if we had have had contracts or anything or not, he still could have done what he wanted. Even mm. if I had have had everything, what I would have thought was done right, he still could have had a go at me because it was bullshit anyway. Mm. What he was saying was all bullshit. Yeah. But I then had to prove that it was bullshit with evidence for three years worth of history. Now, well, that's bullshit. Look at this. There's the evidence of the agreement we had. And um, so even if we had have had an agreement, he still would have tried to do what he did. So at the end of the day, I mean, I tried to stop this person doing it and I tried to come up with agreements and um, resolutions. And I just think he was given poor advice from either his solicitor or his wife or or just himself i'm not sure but yeah. it didn't pay for him and it certainly didn't pay for me but i bounced out of it he never bounced out of his because i was still on the i was still a good person and still trying to create a business he was just trying to get a free ride and you know mm -hmm. shit like that's probably going to happen and there are things you can do in business to protect that with contracts um whether that means anything at the end of the day no i mean i've i've ran everything on handshakes all my life. My handshake's far stronger than anything else. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And that's, that's just the way I go. I don't, and I never countersued. I never tried to counter do anything. I just tried to stop the situation. Yeah. And he was, a, he was a wrecking ball. Mm. I don't yeah. really have much advice on it, but other than to say every disadvantage has the seed of greater or equivalent advantage. You have to find it, right? It doesn't just wave a big, you know. Oh, you have to look it. for the lesson. So I, with that loss of like $100,000 just in that process, you know, I, I learned so much out of that that made me so much smarter going forward on, on all sorts of things. And I still didn't think I did anything wrong, but it was something that I went through and it was external to me. It happened and it was, it was terrible. But you know what? I learned a shitload out of that. Yeah, so there is a blessing in there because it would have made you a lot stronger, a lot more legally savvy for processes oh, moving forward. And even just reading, even just reading everything, words, mm -hmm. the difference between and and or and that and this and all those sorts of things, you go, yeah, they, they all mean something. Right? And there's no way you could ever get a contract that is tight for everything. Yeah. Because you just don't know what the situation is going to be. No. Okay, awesome. So now tell us about your biggest wipeout in the in the ocean. Oh, uh, yeah, Most sure. Epic. Without sounding like a dick. Um, <laughs> no, feel free to sound like a dick. It's fine. <laughs> in 2008, we travelled. In 2008, we travelled uh, WA for, for six months and I was surfing North Point. And for those that have surfed North Point when it's big, there's the shelf out the back and then the inside shelf. Well, out the back, because it was crowded, it was like 70, 80 guys out there. 
there's another little shelf about 10 meters further out. So when the, when the, you know, like the, the 10 to 12 footers come through, it peaks up on this shelf and then goes to the inside. So I was sitting out there just on my own waiting for the every half hour or 40 minutes for that one bigger one to come through. And then this set came through that closed out the whole bay and uh, it just landed straight on me. And even though I was on the outside shelf, I just got absolutely annihilated. So on that, I just threw my board, swam for my life. So I broke my board, my leg rope, nearly got washed over the rocks and I was the furthest one out. And the carnage, the carnage behind me was insane. So no one got underneath this set. So just totally closed uh. out the But that would be the worst wipeout where I, where not because it was the worst, but because when I came up after the three waves, I went, yeah, I'm not young anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you, know, I've, I've, you know, apart from, you know, I've busted eardrums and I've done all sorts of things like everyone else, but that was oh, the right. I just realised that, you know, when it, gets, when it gets over double digits, it's a young man's sport. You uh, yeah. It really is Goodness. a young man's sport. You've got to be really, even though I thought I was doing all the right things, and that was 10 years ago. And uh, wow. so now I'm very strategic when it's big. I make sure I'm on the right boards and I sit in the right place. You know, it bloody hurts when you get knocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, um, as you get older, it's a lot harder to heal. You know, you're yeah. out of the water for so much longer. Yeah. And in terms of the biggest wave you've ever ridden, where was it? The biggest, deepest, longest tube I've ever had was at Lennox. Yeah. All, all the above was out the front of Lennox and they call it Red Cliff or Red Sands or something. So you can't actually see it till you're in the water. And like I said, the sand lines up there once every 10 years or something. And it just so happened it was when the Pasha Volker ran aground. So that same swell, when I looked at the low pressure system, I went, well, it's yeah. going to be offshore up north. So I bolted up north and surfed that Pasha Volker swell all morning. Um, and I, I started off at Lennox and then I looked out the back and there was like four guys out there and they took off, they pulled in this big barrel. I went, oh, I'm going out there. So it's like a 500 meter paddle to get out to where we were. Yeah. And it was my turn and I took off and on a normal day, I probably would have pulled straight, but you can't because it's all rocks. <laughs> so I pulled into this barrel up there and I just, yeah, I was just, yeah, it was freaky. I, I, if I try to talk about it, I'm going to sound like a dick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. And like I said, Biggest, longest, deepest, all in one way. Yeah. Um, the best barrels typically have always been at home when it's good. Yeah. You know, the Matawis. Last year I did December in Hawaii. Um, that was pretty I good. remember that. You were going to do, uh, I saw you put a, a shout out on LinkedIn to see if there was any sort of business leaders or like-minded people going to Hawaii. Did. Yeah. Tell me about that. Tell me yeah, what prompted you to put that post up. Well, I was going there anyway, so why not meet so some like-minded people? You just wanted to have a tax deduction. Come on, be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, went, I went on about half a dozen things when I was over there. Did a LinkedIn local, met other yeah. people, had conversations. Um, yeah, did some networking, uh, went and watched Pipe, spoke to some of the guys yeah. from WSL. I did all sorts of cool things. And, and yeah, it was all business. Yeah, that's awesome. All, all business, board meetings. It was all business, um, yeah. but I did, I did some good business over there and I lined up some really good things, but you know, I could have just gone out holidays, but it's just not my DNA. You know, I, I enjoy talking business or else I wouldn't be here now. Yeah. And on that, we were just talking before you're like, Oh, I don't have anything to sell. So don't ask me about that on the podcast. And then I was like, Oh, there's nothing that you're doing. And then yeah. you said, Oh, actually I'm going to put some courses together. So, yeah. and what I loved is you said you're, yeah, you'll make some money out of it, but it's not designed for that. It's for the value. So just tell us what, what type of things are you going to create and 
why do you think it's important that you do charge for it? Uh, all right, so I'm going to put together some courses because what I've done in the last 12 months is repeat myself a lot. So I'm really big on sales. Um, I have a couple of trademarks that I own because of things I believe in and business models. Um, and, it, and I've been just saying it over and over again, which I enjoy doing, but you know, think of a chorus of a song that goes over and over and over again. So it's, it's not a problem, but one of the ways I can be really smart and my trademark is time duplication. Ah. So when I, when I built Renet, I built it on some really um, cool things, I guess. And one of them was called Business Judo, which I've trademarked. And one of them was Time Duplication, which I've also trademarked. So that were two foundation things. And I realized a year ago that people actually enjoy me talking about it a lot. And I've gone, well, shit, I'm going to trademark them. Because I used to tell people to Google it. But when you Google yeah. it, there's almost nothing on it. So I went, well, I'm going to keep them as mine. So I've hidden them under the blanket for a year for the trademarks to come through. Yep. But with time duplication, the smartest thing to do is if I'm saying it over and over again, it's time to put it somewhere smarter. So the other day when someone rang me, for example, and he wanted me to mentor him through his business and he started asking me questions. Well, the first thing I said was, look, go online and watch this video. It's 45 minutes, which is going to answer all those questions for you. And then we can talk about it. Does that make sense? Yep. So that's time duplication. So in his own leisure with a beer or whatever he wants to do, coffee, he can watch a video for 45 minutes and we can talk about it. That's smart use of everyone's time, if that makes any sense. Yep. Not to fob him off, but no. I've gone, I, I tend to add value to the conversation around other things and you can understand the journey. So I have started doing courses and putting them online. So people in their leisure can go and learn more about sales. They go and learn more about the business of thirds. They go learn more about time duplication. They go learn more about the four levels of the human mind. They can go and learn about six or seven different things that I, I use to grow a successful company. Sugar and cream leadership is another one. I like that one. I really loved your analogy with that word and why you've choose the sugar over the cream. Cause far too many people just are looking for the cream. They're looking for the quick win uh, especially yeah. when it comes to salespeople, they're just trying to, they want to steal other people's clients. They're yeah. hiring for, for what's or what knowledge they already have rather than their aptitude and attitude. And I think that's just like the biggest failure um, yeah. in hiring. Um, you said the other one was business judo. Do you do uh, any martial arts? No, the term yeah. I got taught in the nineties was um, mental judo. Uh -huh. you know, so it was like when you're running sales teams and there's issues and you, it's a bit like mental, um, mental judo trying to trying to um you know solve problems and create win-win situations it's you know the term i got given was mental judo so i thought well when i start my business i'm going to start trying to do business judo so how do i create win-win situations how do i create um out of disadvantages and advantages you know how do i uh, leverage off bigger companies and and help does that make sense so yep. you know, and and in official judo there's one winner but in business there can be many winners we're all mm. allowed to win better together how do i leverage off those big companies so for example in that 18 years of renet i spent no money on marketing but i leveraged off a lot of companies by creating um products and services and situations where we all got a, we all got opportunities and benefits out of it yeah. i love that um so that's one of the key things judo. yeah yeah it's one and of the key that. things i teach is about that tapping into flow like, how can you get into flow with someone else? Be better together. How can you work together to, to have a win-win situation for the client, but also for you? So you don't have to be just punching out the cash all the time. Yeah, correct. And, you know, and, and if you can do that, and, but it's just, 
That's one example. So it's like, you know, if you had a black belt in judo, you'd understand all sorts of ways of doing it. And it become part of your DNA and how you actually uh, went into battle or fight. You know, and it's the same thing in yeah. business. So if you get your black belt in business judo, after several years, you don't get it after several weeks or months. So after years of doing this practice. And getting you your know, ass handed to you a few times. Yeah, and losing a few fights and losing yeah. a few battles and then going, well, shit, how do I turn that around? And I've got to get back in the ring again. And it's the same in business. Um, but if you learn to do that and make it part of your DNA, your business can be so much easier and better um, than, than if you're just out there struggling on your own all the time and there's lots of buzzwords like you know i used win-win as an example there's collaboration there's there's a heap of buzzwords but it's all of them yeah it's not just the punch or the kick or the wrestle it's it's all it's of the them. rear it's naked all... choke sorry it's really about the rear naked choke <laughs> but you get what i'm saying and it becomes part of your dna you know for example um business judo right now in this environment we've got right now is you're leveraging on me to give something to your audience and that's a form of business judo yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it certainly you know, does. And the only reason why I, I give value back to someone like you is because when I first went on LinkedIn, you're one of the first people that started liking and engaging in my content. So I go, well, if you ask me to do something, sure, because you engaged and liked what I did. So I'll go, if you want me to put an hour in and share some stuff with you, great. And I hope, hope some of your listeners get some real good value out of it. Yeah, I'm sure they will because I think that one of the key things this audience will get out is under, like seeing that you're a real human, right? And you're not one of these overnight successes. You're, you've, some of it, you've, you know, you're asked your way there. Um, and it's not, it's not about I've gone and done the textbook version because who really is, well, I don't think anyone listening to this podcast is someone that does the textbook version. Go to school, do this, follow rules, blah, blah. Like not really, not really my people. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm not a rule conformist either, but <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, and what I love is I'm always looking for, I'm looking for those people that want to give back to our community and not just our community locally, but our surfing community, but, but the business community. And that's what I loved when I saw you on LinkedIn straight away, the stuff that you were sharing and the way that you were sharing said to me, you're, you're humanity plus and you're, and you're, you're not doing this out of ego. You're doing it because you genuinely care about other people and, and the success of them and, and sharing your knowledge and um, you transcending your success. And it wasn't about like, okay, I've made my bucks. I've built my business and I've sold it and I can just kick back and do nothing. You were, you know, you've got some other drive there that's pushing you to do something a bit bigger and a bit more. Well, if the surf was good all day, be a different story, right? You wouldn't see me right now. <laughs> but it's not. Uh, you no. know, seriously, you get bored. You retire and you go, well, you know, I'm sort of financially independent now. And I've mowed the lawn. I've had a, had a battle now. What am I doing? There's nothing else left. It's like, yeah. So you start thinking of more business ideas and what else you can do. And I've created a success hub here where I've surrounded myself with coaches and um, other business entrepreneurs. And, you know, it's pretty cool fun, right? Um, yeah, like I said, I, I want to write some books, but together with the books is um, the courses and, you know, but it's not, not necessarily even for profit. You know, half the reason why I'm doing the books is actually for my kids because they mm. saw all that time, effort and energy that I did and the sacrifices yeah. I made. And when they turn 30, hopefully I'm still here. You know, one's 21. How old are they? I really hope that you're still here. <laughs> so I'm really here. hoping I'm still here. But nonetheless, 
I'm writing this information, these books, so it's a legacy for me for my kids. And if anyone else likes it, they, they, they can take a copy and buy it as well, right? Yeah. But it's, it's more about creating something as a legacy for my kids or my grandkids because when they go, oh, you know, gee, you know, dad or poppy was pretty smart, wasn't he? Well, here's some of the things I did that made business work for me. Yeah. And they can then, when they're 30, they decide to, like I did at 30, start a business. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have loved to have read something about my grandfather who started with oh. nothing also. And yeah had three houses when he died i go shit what did my grandfather do you know yeah and what was some learn? of his beliefs and some of the things because he died at 65 you know i was only 24 you know so i never mm. really got to have a proper business conversation with him yeah yeah and that's one of the reasons why i'm putting things down at the moment putting them into books and courses is the legacy and look if if a hundred other people like that great if a thousand other people like it happy and if, i don't really mind but, you know it's it's more I'm doing it for the kids. That's awesome. That's a great, that's a great gift and a, a great mindset to go in, go into it with, because again, it's about what's the long term for them rather than you're not doing it to make cash. It's, it's coming from the right place. Look, there's no better reward for effort than money, but I'm getting paid good money now. Anyway, people are paying me yeah. really good beer money to come and talk <laughs> to them for half a day or go down and run a, a session with a, a group of their staff. And you know, I'm, that's, that's really rewarding because you feel like, and I, I enjoy business and business is commerce. And um, when people pay you, there's an expectation on both sides. And I enjoy that side of business. That's what business is. And, you know, there's no better reward than being paid because you're good at something. Yeah. Whatever, it could be baking cakes or doing hair. It really doesn't matter. There's no better reward than someone giving you good money for a good job. And, yeah, it's, um, it's that recognition, right? The fact I don't need it anymore isn't important. I, I still need it mentally yep. because I don't want to get old. I want to stay young. I want to keep competing against the kids, if that makes any sense, just like oh. in surfing. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Let's, uh, let's go into some rapid fire. Um, tell me, what is your number one eco tip or product? Uh, look, I'm, 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 as a fireman, I go in the bush all the time with fires, right? So... It's, um, it destroys me what happens with the environment. But just I was out for the last two days um, doing aftermath and houses and stuff. So it's not a rapid fire question, but anyway. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's it's fine. Like, I'm happy to dive. As, as a surfer, we're environmentalists at heart. Mm. You know, it's, it's the one thing is what do we do individually to create an impact? You know, we might talk about mining companies and all these big corporations, but you know what? There's 8 billion people in the world shoving their shit on the ground and you go, well, we've got to start with ourselves. So that's yeah. my biggest thing. Stop using single use stuff whenever you can, but it's freaking yes. hard. I know you can't go to Coles and walk out without plastic. You end yeah. up with it everywhere. But if we can get rid of more and more plastic individually by choosing not to buy the stuff in plastic or, um, well then, you know, that's, that's perfect. That's, I think it just starts with us individually. There's 8 billion of us in the world. Yeah. We can blame everyone we like, but we're the people. We're, we're actually the dog, not the tail. We control the big companies. Yes. And not by protesting in the streets, by just not buying their with stuff your dollars. properly. Yeah. You vote with your money, 100%. You vote with your money, you know. I refuse. I won't buy a coffee if I can't get it in either a crockery cup or keep cup. Yeah, I'll just keep. go without. And that's just... I wanted, my friend was, I was out the other day, my friend rang, she's like, oh, do you want me to bring you a coffee to the seminar? I'm like, I'd love a coffee. And didn't have a keep cup. So I'm like, no, no coffee yeah. for me. Like, well, we had a session here the other day. Every single person had reusable stuff, but their water bottles, coffee cups, everything. It was like, wow. I mean, just, it's been a couple of years of everyone talking about it, but it's having an impact. Yeah. 
I saw a blog the other day that was talking about the, the coffee cup situation. They said they think by the end of uh, 2021, it'll be as socially as acceptable as smoking in a childcare center to walk down the street with a single use coffee cup. I'm like, it's yes. Getting, it's getting there. <laughs> I would love that. Or the plastic water bottle, you know, the, oh. yeah, it's getting there. Yeah. It's getting there. It's getting there. Although their, their thing is, I guess they say that all their plastics now coming from recycled plastic. So I guess it's not single use in one way, but what's worse is that people use it and just put it in the red bin. That's what yep. shits me to tears, right? So. Well, what shits me to tears is Asia's not buying our recycling. So it's all going to landfill anyway. But the yep. other thing that people don't realize with the single use is it's all of the energy that's, that goes into creating the product and and recycling the product like someone trucks have to come pick that shit up someone's got to clean it like there's a whole process behind it whereas yeah. if you can reuse and repurpose that we need less oil we need less everything so it's like okay how can you minimize your footprint yeah correct so the one word answer sorry no <laughs> that's all good <laughs> one word answer is just fucking <laughs> <laughs> the rapid fire yeah what's and next best travel advice oh, i like to not have an agenda Ooh. so i went to mexico a couple of years ago and i like to as surfers we generally know the weather and the swell and all those sorts of things right and what mm -hmm. we like what we don't like so when i went to mexico i booked three days in mexico city when we landed and when I landed, I looked at the weather forecast, the swell forecast, and picked whether I went left or right, if that makes any sense. Yep. So I like to treat my travel now like a swell forecast and go with the wind and go with the conditions. You know, always, well, they say always follow an offshore. Yep. So where's it offshore? Where's it going to be good for this week? So my, my best travel advice is that. So if it's, and, and to be really critical as a surfer, if it's onshore for the next three days, go to the hills and go to the cities. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. So follow the offshore. It's, it's no different to the back beach, the front beach, as it is to my travel advice. And yeah. uh, that's how I like to roll. Love it. Love it. Follow what, the offshore. Follow the offshore. Mo morals for life. <laughs> 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 um, what's one thing that scares the fuck out of you? Uh, eyes. I have a massive phobia for eyes. Like I just for, can't. Uh, these? Yeah, eyes. And then um, it's because of a childhood thing, which I won't talk about. You don't want me to yeah, look the, at you? The reason why I'll, the reason why I mention this is because I just the other week had my pterygiums done as a surfer. Oh, And yeah. for me, for me, that was just the biggest achievement. You know, and because this is a, a barrels and what was it called? Barrels, barrels or something podcast it's for surfers. Yeah. All I kept on saying to myself was that Julian Wilson just had his done this year. And if Julian can do it. I can do it. It's exactly yes. my way. All year I'm going, I've needed them done for 20-something years, right? And wow. I kept on going, oh, And the other saving grace for me was, like I said, I do the Sawtell Fire Brigade. Yeah. Everyone's seen all the fires. I was so busy up to the operation that I didn't get a chance. You know, I was having, I was having day, day nightmares, just walking around going into cold sweats and stuff. So this massive phobia. Oh, wow. What scares the shit out of me? Yeah. Was having to have a trigeon. It freaked wow. me no end. Um, yeah. Well, high five to you for doing it. <laughs> so I've done right. it. I no longer look it. like I'm crying in my left eye all the time. Awesome. Awesome. Terrible. I, um, I needed to have my eyes lasered as well because surfing with contacts sucked. 
So I waited till my best friend went as a guinea pig and had hers done. And then I just went to her doctor when I knew that she could see still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so if Julian Wills can do it, I can do it. I like yeah. that. I like that. Let's, let's see what else can Julian do. Um, <laughs> what is on top of your bucket list right now? Oh, business-wise or personal? Um, let's go both. Well, business-wise, I want to get this stuff done with the books. I want to get that legacy stuff done. Yep. That's a real burning desire for me at the moment. Um, personally, Archie's in year 10. He's going into year 11 next year. So it's a bit undecided. If he takes a trade up and decides to become a big boy, well, all of a sudden he can stay at home on his own. Otherwise, yep. for the next year or two, there's you know family travel and things like that. But you know, I've, yep. been, I've been to all the surfing spots. Um, I want to go back to a couple next year. I'm actually already looking at the whole Indo trip as we speak. Um, but you know, I've never been to Europe, but you know, every time I think of, um, well, you know, in the, in the nineties, all I did was work. And then I started a yeah. company and any holidays I went and had to have surf. Yeah. And, you know, so uh, in fact, I, my first surf trip was. You can surf in Europe. There's France, um, there's Portugal. <laughs> but I've never been there. Um, so I wouldn't mind ticking that off a bucket list, but it's not even a big bucket list to be honest with you. Yeah. I just wouldn't mind going cause it looks cool. Yeah. Um, if I had a choice, you know, I mean, Mexico was awesome. The surf we got in Mexico was sensational. If I wanted to go on a surf trip with no one around, it was all beach breaks that pump, I'd go back to Mexico. Really? Oh, Mexico was awesome. And the food was awesome. It was cheap. The people were awesome. And I don't do drugs. So, you know, at the end of the day, I wasn't in the wrong crowd, you know. So it was, yeah. I found it pretty cool. Yeah, really cool. That's, it's on my list. I'm going to Costa Rica this year yeah. to teach a business course. Uh, so I'm trying to tack on an extra week beforehand because I'm, I'm flying from Costa Rica to Amsterdam to Europe. Um, okay. So that's going to be fun. It's always fun carding my surfboard through Europe, but yeah. not. Um, I, have out, yeah, I have to figure out what I'm going to do about that. Um, but yes, Mexico is on the list when I do um, Peru because I've had some friends say that Peru was pumping as well. Cold water though. Yeah. I like to go with warm water. I don't like the cold water either. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like the cold. <laughs> okay so if you could surf go on a surf trip with anyone dead or alive who would it be and why and they don't have to be surfers oh jesus well dead or alive I, look i'd love to spend some time with my grandfather oh you know um you know knowing, looking back now on what he must have done to to create a lifestyle and um things like that for um what he did uh, my mum was a rebellious mum so she I never got to know my grandfather because she broke away from the family, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So I never got to know my grandfather for that reason. But, you know, seeing what he actually built and created before he died, you know, at the end of my ages, I, I got to see it all. But, you know, I never really got to know him that well. So if it was anyone, I'd go with my grandfather. And then if you said non-surfer, yeah, I'd yeah. love to spend some time just to say, you know, well done. So they, uh, last name Schindler, they, um, they escaped from... Um, East Germany to West Germany in 1954 and came over in a boat with nothing, you know, so that must've been one hell of a bloody journey. Wow. And then he started making stockings in a factory in Melbourne when they landed in, in Melbourne. You know, so he worked in a stocking factory. Um, you know, so like that whole mindset, then he opened up in the end, Mount Buller in, in Victoria. Yeah. So that him and a bunch of Europeans started Mount Buller up basically. Wow. And had a, all it had was a rope going up and down the hill at the time. <laughs> So, you know, by the time it was finished, you now he had the lodge, he had a holiday house, he had a commercial building he owned and the house obviously they lived in, which he built by second-hand bricks. So all the buildings they were demolishing, 
he got them to drop off at his house and he'd get a, I had to do some because I helped him do some repairs when I was younger and he'd, he'd um, get rid of all the mortar off the bricks. Then they'd be brand new bricks again, right? So we build up. Reuse up, and recycle. <laughs> he, he, time duplication, right? Time duplication. No single yeah. use of anything, right? And um, so that whole mindset was pretty interesting. I'd love to be able to chew his brain for mindset. You know, what made him do all that? And there's a lot of that legacy in me, which is what makes me more interesting because I see it in me all the time. And go, man, I'm just like my grandfather. Oh, Damn I it. love Because as when I was young, I, I didn't like him because my yeah. mum didn't like him. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, the influence. Yeah, the influence. So I'd love to be able to have that proper, real conversation with him because I constantly see now things in me. And you got to remember, he died in like '94. So, yeah. Wow! Oh, that's really cool. And if you can take one more person with you, <laughs> someone that you can paddle out with. Oh, someone I can paddle out with. Um, who would that be? Oh, Jesus. To be honest, oh, there's nothing better than surfing on my own. <laughs> Leave them on the beach. I want to go on a surf trip with non-surfers so that I can have all the waves to myself. I can go surfing. Look, you know, we go like to sometimes on boat trips and the guys are sitting there watching movies or having beers and... I'm still surfing. I'll be out there in the middle of the reef all on my own going, man, this is, this is what I came for. I came to go surfing all day. And I just yeah. love, I love surfing with mates. I also love surfing on my own. Um, so it'd have to be a non-surfer. I, if I had to pick someone, um, look, I've surfed with pros all over the world, but at the end of the day, uh, if go on a surf trip, I'd take my wife, but she oh. doesn't surf. So, but I'd take my wife as far as company goes. Yeah. But as far as surfing, yeah, you know, look, I, I just love surfing my own. I don't care where it is. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome answer. Oh, except, except for South Australia. South Australia scares the shit out of me. Yeah. <laughs> I won't paddle. I have paddled out there on my own, but no, I don't want to paddle out there on my own. Do you want someone to be able to tourniquet your leg when it gets bitten off? <laughs> is, that, is that why? We can't say that's bad for tourism. But you just uh, feel like shark bait there. You feel like it. You just... uh, I felt like shark bait in J-Bay. Yeah. Oh. Like... Yeah. Yeah, I the paddle back from the point towards super tubes, it's just like, and you're all by yourself and it's freezing cold. And no, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. I like warm water if I go on a surf trip. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I like warm, period. <laughs> yeah, I'd yeah. much rather. If, if Cairns had surf, I'd live up there. Oh, I lived in Darwin for four and a half years. This was one of the reasons why I didn't surf for 17 years. Cause that's where my yeah. first two businesses were. Beautiful water, terrible surf. Yeah. And Irukandji and crocodiles and every other reason why you can't go in the beautiful blue ocean. Need a wave pool. Well, I think they're working on one, aren't they? I don't know. They had one. Okay. What about the Melbourne wave pool? Looks Are you going to go? Looks good. I mean, if I'm down there, why not? Would I go specifically for it? Probably not. Um, but if I was down there, why wouldn't I try it? I've got a friend's wedding in January, so I think I'm going to have a crack. Yeah, I'd have a crack at it. Why not? Yeah, I'd have a crack at all of them. Yeah, Kelly Slater's oh. looks unreal, but you know, oh, it goes to show you. I used, I used to look at the snapper, and I, I I don't mind surfing at the back of the point at snapper, but but Tom, but Tom, I'm, I can't get to Greenmount. I'm stuffed. You know, and that's about <laughs> the same. That's about the same length of ride. Yeah. And the pros, by the time they get to the end of that wave of stuff, they go, they're only a yeah. little bit fitter than me. Yeah. <laughs> I have, I, I like to, uh, I like to take off from little Marley if I'm going to the green mount. Oh yeah. <laughs> but you know, they, they, they themselves, you know, after a few hundred meters and, and 10 turns, yeah. they're just as knackered as the rest of us, you know, and you go, well, that's good. Cause I thought they could surf for a kilometer or two. Yeah. But it turns out, you know, it's hard work it's trying hard to surf. Work. Yeah. No, if I'm, if I'm at, uh, 
if I'm a snapper, I like to be on my six, six, um, Takayama and then you just walk and stand on the nose and then you don't have to do that much. And you just ride it all the way to the beach. <laughs> Lazy surfing. That's all right. Um, okay. So tell me what are three to five words that you'd love associated with you? Uh, three to five words, uh, determined, confident, um, believer, uh, that'll do for now. <laughs> I think I sound like a dick. I think you have this thing about sounding like a dick. Where's that come from? <laughs> <laughs> it's words I don't want associated with me, dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's sort of hard. In, um, it's hard when you put yourself out there because some people are going to go, Oh, you know, I don't like your stuff, but other people are going to say they do. So it's, it's hard. But when people like in this audience right now and with you, with this podcast, you, I guess you ask questions about, and you, and you have to be open and honest and raw. I've got no choice. Yeah. Um, but I much prefer, like when you read out earlier in my bio, I had to get someone else to write that. I couldn't do it. And I when I said it. to the guy that wrote the bio, I said, look, I'm not going to tell you anything. You've got to go and research and tell me what you see. And that's what he saw. Um, but, you know, like a couple extra words for business if you want to add in. That, that confidence and that self-belief all came because of misfortune as a kid. But, mm. um, you know, I also would like, if, if I had to put a couple of words, the entrepreneurial spirit is another, yeah. is another key. You know, I love business. I love entrepreneurship. I love learning and knowledge. And, you know, behind me, I've actually got my, my report cards on the wall back there to show as a D-class student, you know. I got, out of 71 kids in English, I got 70th, you know. Wow. And probably only because the other kid didn't turn up. But you, know. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, don't let that stop you. You don't let your imperfections stop you. You can still go out and succeed and still have a good life. Just because, you know, you, you're not educated doesn't really matter. So, but, so there's so many things that you can associate yourself with that well, are yeah. different to everyone else. You know, other people come up with different words, but. I like to say that I don't let my listexia get in the way with me writing on a whiteboard. And if it looks kind of like the word, fucking run with it. That'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, Start writing if like you a think it's like that, then, yeah. then just pretend it is. Yeah. Those, um, you're coming up with a few power words. You know, I like to let everyone else think of it and, and what they think. I don't really mind whether they think I'm good, bad or indifferent, but you know, as far as I go, yeah, confidence, self-belief are the two biggest things I, ha I have and I'm comfortable with saying. Yeah, love it. Love it. If you were going to make an Instagram quote, what would it say? Uh, I, I think I used to have live to surf and surf to live or something. Yeah, something I like, like that. that. Surf, I like that. Yep. Run with that surfing, one. Surfing I might steal that. my sanity. Yeah. You know, when I go out in the ocean, it's my, it's my ability to, um, like if I was competing, it's my ability to be able to lay it on the line. You know, when you, the thing about when you paddle out in the in a heat, um, you've got people watching to start with, mm. you know, friends or family or whatever, mates or other people as good as you in the competition, in your age division, whatever it is, right? And they're all going to sit there and watch every wave you take, you know, and when you fall or you do something good. In addition to that, you've got a few judges there. They're going to really give a fair income opinion whether your turn was any good or not. You know, like um, you lay it on the line every time you go surfing. It's, it's um, yeah, it's... And that in itself, for me, I like. I like that challenge of laying on the line and, mm. and um, instead of hiding and, and 
hiding behind under the sheets or something like that. I like the fact you actually go and lay shit on the line. Well, you're almost making me want to go back to, uh, to joining a, a club and competing again. It's been, how long has it been for me? It's going to be 22 years since I've competed. <laughs> but it's um, hard you know, because if you do a shit job, you get told about it straight away. Yeah. The I feedback, mean, right? You know. But it it does give you the dedication to work on things and to iterate and to, to have a good, hard, long look at yourself too. Yeah. Take up golf. <laughs> uh, I played competitive football, which is what took me out of the ocean a lot, as well as building the businesses. Because trying to surf, I've broken every finger except for my left thumb. And, you know, trying to pop up with broken fingers is kind of hard. Yeah. So <laughs> I uh, need to switch the competitiveness. Um, okay. And one other question, one last parting question for you. If you could recommend a tool, a book or a coach mentor to someone that is in a scaling business, what would it be? I've always, and obviously it's my legacy background, but anything to do with selling and sales and improving your strike rate mm -hmm. is a must. And there's a big gray area on the, on the world today between what's marketing and what's selling. Mm -hmm. And they're very confused, right? So people think if they put some information out on the internet that that's selling and it's not, it's marketing. Mm -hmm. And the ability to be able to close that deal and actually in, in a way that's profitable and manageable for you and it's good for your business is the selling side of it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a forgotten trade. So anything you can learn around, um, oops, did I just pull it out again? No. Anything you can learn around sales is a must. So I think there's enough marketing influence out there. There's enough yeah. marketing examples out there that it seems like all you got to do is build it and they'll come. And it's not true. You've got to be able to close <laughs> deals yeah. and you've got to be able to have that presentation in, in a structured way that creates a desired outcome for everybody. And that's the sales side. So it's the presentation, the question time, the follow-ups in a, in a nice structured way. And there's a way to do all that. Um, and lucky enough for me, I did a 10 year apprenticeship on that. And I just thought everyone knew how to do it. But now that I'm out in the real world, I see that uh, the people have got really lost on this whole, what's marketing and what's sale, yeah. you know what I mean? And you, you see it all the time. So I see it everywhere where people have got really good stuff, but they just, the strike rate's it. terrible. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like a forgotten trade. So anything you can do to improve your sales, learn, do a course, read a book, um, Google stuff on, on, on sales to help close more deals is, is good for you. Did you ever do Zig Ziglar's automobile university? No, no. <laughs> that was my selling. That was my selling back. That's showing my age. So when I first got in, I did, not only did I do recruitment, which is purely sales, right? I did, I recruited salespeople. <laughs> so, um, I needed to learn everything there was to learn about sales. So I used to listen to Zig Ziglar every day in the car to, to learn about sales. So it's super old school, but there's, um, Ziggler still has a podcast. He's, he's gone, but his son's running it and has an amazing legacy. Yep. And it's really based in values and morals as well and making sure that, you know, you are looking for the win-win the in the situation. You're not scamming. So I don't, I don't recommend uh, Jordan Belford's straight line selling where you go and scan the pants off of people. Um, but there's definitely, I'd say, Zig, is there any other tools that you know of in sales space that people could pick up? Nah, look, you know, I, I, I was given 10 years of pure 
um, sales training through the American insurance company. I mean, mm -hmm. it was, you know, around at the time, let's call it in the eighties and nineties, there was vacuum cleaners, there was encyclopedias mm -hmm. and there was all these, there was all these business door to door stuff. So I, I was, I was actually entrenched in it. So external stuff, um, wasn't necessary because there was so much internal training. It all, it all fed off the same stuff. So I can't really advise on uh, any other books or any other ways to do it. But I can tell you one thing, Grant Cardone, there was a guy that emailed me about going to one of his conferences, you know, 10 times your sales. And I went, yeah. oh, cool. So I, I, I threw back a line at him, right? In other words, an open line, because I, as if I was interested. And yep. I something along the lines of um, the guy that emailed me, I said, oh, is, is this yours or something like that? So it was a nice open-ended one. And what I expected back was poetry in motion. I expected some beautiful pitch back about how he'd love to see me there and the value I'd get and all these sorts mm -hmm. of things, right? Because I, you know, I threw the dog a bone, right? Yeah. I expected this from a 10 times sales course, the perfect Some example. sale. <laughs> you know, and I expected the, and I went, oh, that was terrible. Yeah. It was terrible. And I went, and I didn't respond to it, but you know what his follow-up was? Either they're super busy and they managed to sell those $10,000 tickets anyway. Um, they didn't need to be the perfect salesperson. But you know, what I expected back out of that was, you know, some sort of follow-up or some sort of thing, you know. Yeah. And to be honest, I probably was never going to go anyway. But I threw the dog a bone. And if that had been a normal business, his ability to be able to close that because I created, a, you know, I would have loved to. Open say, the door. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. We'd love to have you there. All those sorts of positive things. Yeah. Well, shit, and that was from a ten times, yeah, ten times your business. Grant if you Carter. can't, if you can't train your own salespeople to do it, how the hell are you going to train me? But people still spend that. I think it was six thousand for the base ticket and ten thousand for the big ticket. And I went, yeah. Now people still buying that. So I get why some people probably get out of that course, and and um, don't really get what they want. I, yeah. I can understand that can happen from time to time because I guess they're really just after the ten thousand dollars. There's yeah. information there, but you can learn something from everything. You should be able to go to one of those courses and learn. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. It's about the application and, and putting your filter over it too, right? It's more about that. But, you know, I was really – so I can't recommend go to a Grant Cardone course or anything like that. But if you want to go do it, I'm sure you'll learn shit. You'll yeah. learn heaps. There'll be yeah. bucket loads. Just open your mind, listen, go home and implement. I think that's the key, right, with anything. Be looking for the learning and it's what, what insight you can take from it. But more importantly, from the insight, what's the application? Yeah. And if you go into every situation looking for the insight and the application, then you're going to always be moving forward, yeah. no matter who's giving you the information, even if you learn that that's not the way to do it. <laughs> well, that's it. Even if you go, oh, well, that's not for me, but you're finding out what is for you. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but as far as recommending goes, sales is definitely right up there. And if I had to recommend a person or a book, look, I don't think there is. You're going to learn... You know, I'm a big, per a big believer in the person needs to stay themselves. So you just got to become a good you. Yeah. You know, but there is a there is a better and a more structured way you can be you and do a presentation about your products. Mm -hmm. I talk about features, advantages, and benefits, and there are some simple techniques you can add into that. Um, you don't have to go and become someone else. You know, if, if it wouldn't matter whether you're a hairdresser or a, or a builder or a, or a chef or a, you know whatever, you're still always selling. If you're in yep. business, you're always selling. Always be closing. Always be closing. Always be closing. <laughs> you always are selling, right? Yeah. That's just it. And that's the, I think that's the key thing that a lot of business owners need to get over. They think sales is a dirty word. And the number one role they want to outsource as fast as possible is the sales. But what they really need to realize is if you're the business owner, you are always selling. You're selling always your selling. dream. You're selling your legacy. 
you're selling your business, you're selling yourself, like everything is about the sale. It's about reframing that and making sure that you're not doing it in a sleazy, underhanded way and you're doing it with authenticity. Yep, you got it. Yeah. Um, in fact, when the business grew to a certain point, I, I now only had my staff as my clients. Mm-hmm. So that were my front line. Yep. That were my clients. That was where all my investment and return was, was within the team. Mm. The company looked after itself if I looked after the team. Yeah. And that was how the business morphed after about 2010. So after 2010, it was a complete paradigm shift from, from growing the company to that point to growing the company to that point. Yeah. So, and that was how it changed. It was my, my, the 1,650 officers weren't anywhere near as important to me as it was the staff. Yep. So that were the people I had to sell and train and nurture uh-huh. every day. Yeah. And because they're the ones that are out there on the front line for you after that. Yeah. Well, you know, time duplication. So I had to make 14 Scots. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, they say like people are your best asset or your, or your biggest concern. Yeah. Well, they're, they're both they're the biggest asset and liability in one go. Yeah. And, and, you know, it goes in cycles and stuff like that, but they definitely are. That's a yeah. fact. hundred percent. And if you really want to build a business, there's people involved everywhere. So you have to learn the way to master that. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. I've kept you for a nice amount of time. I'm going to try and have a grovel out the front before the sun goes down. Tell me though, is there anything, any parting wisdom or anything else you'd like to, to leave us with? Um, in business or anything? Look, I'm- Anything. How about loyalty? Mm. Be loyal. Be loyal to yourself. Be loyal to your friends. Be loyal to your family. Make your handshake worth more than anything else. More than the piece of paper or the contract. If you say you're going to do something, do it. And if you're not going to do something, say you're not going to do it. Yeah. But loyalty. Loyalty to your word. Loyalty to yourself. Epic. I love that as a parting sentiment. Thank you so very much. Um, I know the courses aren't out yet, but what we'll do is as the, um, as the podcast evolves and when you've got your courses ready, we'll add that to the show notes, but tell us what's one way, what's the best place for people to connect with you? Well, connecting, I've chosen LinkedIn as a community simply because LinkedIn, um, I, I like the vibe of the people on LinkedIn. They're the go-getters. They're the business people. They're the people who are, are trying to go from, from here to there as, you know, from, from goal setting to, um, even if they're employees, they're just trying to, you know, create more opportunities for themselves and improve their careers. You know, I, I just love the vibe of the people on LinkedIn. So that's the best spot. And I put up stuff there for free. So it's yeah, go and learn, go on. It's, it's all cost you nothing, you know? So there's so much stuff I put up there, which is free. And you awesome. don't need to do anything. I do have a YouTube channel and a website, but LinkedIn is my preference. Um, yeah, beautiful. And so that's just Scotty Schindler. And if you go onto LinkedIn, you literally put that in because that is your handle. They should, it should pop straight yes, up. Correct. I'm the only, I believe I'm the only Scotty Schindler in the world that's on that channel or LinkedIn or YouTube or anything. There's, there's a few Scott Schindlers. Yeah. Not many. No, no Scotties. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately with a name like Jade Green, there's lots of people that uh, change their name to be the same as mine. So that makes it a bit of a challenge. <laughs> there you go. Now I, um, I, I was called Scotty off my mates and, and business. I was called Scott. So when I, when I sold the business and exited, I had to choose whether I was going to be in this next chapter, Scott or Scotty. And I went, nah, stop it. I'm going Scotty. If they don't like that, it's okay. If they think I'm too 
you know, country and surfy. Well, they're not for me anyway. I don't really want to talk to them anyway. I couldn't see so, you as a Scot. You're definitely a Scotty. Yeah, well, I was, I was Scott on business. Boom. Yeah. Well, the bloody internet changed everything, though. You know, I used to have the business hat and I'd go to Sydney and I'd be all business-like and then I'd come home and be Scotty again. And uh, then the internet changed things and everyone knew I was surfing because, you know, if something happens, it goes on the internet now and everyone yeah. can find it. So whereas in the old days, it was all hidden. <laughs> yeah. Don't, my, my takeaway for everyone is be authentically you all the time. Don't have a business you and a outside of business you because it becomes fucking exhausting to start off with. And you can't be congruent all of the time. And there's always like this subtle undercurrent battle. So just always be you. And if people don't yeah. like it, fuck them. Yeah, but still, there's a time to, you know, you could be in a band, for example, and there's a time to be on stage and there's a time to be around the barbecue and the fireplace. You know, there's, there's, there's the same person, the same singer. There's dials. But there's times, right? So when I, when I you know, I often, I often do events and I was at an event the other day and all of a sudden it was my turn to go up. And I said, oh, okay, there's no break. Let me go put my shirt on. And the reason why I put on my business shirt, I'm still Scott. But it's like, oh, well, actually now I'm, I've got the, the brain on and everything's in gear, like putting on the rashy in a comp. Yeah. It's time to get everything right and time to do everything that you know that's good. And that's why I like the comp because it's time to lay it on the line. It matters if you fall. It matters what you say. It matters what you do. And um, that's why I like to have that. I'm still the same Scott. Yeah, it's just like, the temperature. It's, it's the temperature and the gauge, right? Like, I, I still love putting on a suit every now and then. But it's my version of, and it's my personality. And, and it is, for me, like you said, it's like putting on the jersey. So game, it's it's exactly game the time. It's game time. And as long as that's still a version of you and it's not like you're putting on the actor's hat and you're stepping into a persona that you've created, that's where the, that's where the problem is. As long as it's still you. So I go to Sydney and someone pays me $10,000 for the day to have my time. And I wear a collared shirt without a tie. That to them is relaxed and country. Yeah. But for me, it's stepping up and turning up the temperature and delivering what they've asked for. Yeah. And, and that's what I mean about that. You know, if I turned up like this, I'd still be the same Scott. But, you know, I, I uh, appreciate the stage and the platform I'm on at the time. Mm. And I respect that. And so I perform accordingly and that's all it's about. I don't change. You'll see all the videos and the content. I'm still the same Scott. Yeah. No, but I Although, love now, like I'm looking at your LinkedIn and you know, your LinkedIn header has a picture of you doing a sick turn. Like, so, you know, you're not, you're not dialing down who you really are. No. And I didn't come up with that saying, but I loved it. Google came up with that saying <laughs> at the top, the quintessential Australian success story. Ah, so well Google, when I, when I did a talk for Google, they said that. And I went, yeah, I can live with that. Uh, that was with Startup Grind? Yes. Yeah, beautiful. I love, um, Startup Grinds are great, hey? Yeah. Where, where did you do yours? Uh, here. So I was the first ah. regional Startup Grind in Australia. Really? Yeah. Very cool. I helped run them in Bali. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, blessed <laughs> so yeah i um i helped to facilitate the 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 barley startup grinds yeah sweet yeah when and they're just up the road from the world surf league spot at kramas oh okay yeah yeah yep. So, on that side yeah on that side that's that's where i hang out when i'm in bali i'm always i either at commune uh or at entrepreneur resorts which is just inland so i'm always found surfing it at uh kramas okay 
Good. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for your insights, your input and your energy today. I am sure that the listeners will absolutely love it and will look to reach out to you on LinkedIn in the future. Sweet. Happy to be here. I hope everyone got some value out of that. I'm sure they did. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. Hey there, Barrel Chasing Business Owners. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. What would be amazing and allow us to reach as many business owners just like you would be if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you feel like you got any entertainment or any value out of today, if you could pop on over, that would mean the world to us. See you on the next show.